When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay, and I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by Tyrone Marshall. Good morning. And by Stu Brennan. Morning. It's nice to have you back. We were saying before we went on air, weren't we, Stu, the last time we did the podcast with you, you walked in halfway through, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, you started without me. It's, it's nice to be remembered and wanted, but uh, yeah. <laughs> at least you remembered to ask me this time, so... That's all that matters, we've done that, that bit of housekeeping. Got, got to turn up on time, haven't you? Yeah. You don't get City players turning up 20 minutes after the start game and walking straight on the pitch and yeah. perhaps started with 10, you know, these are... Listen, listen. It's, all, it's all in the timekeeping. <laughs> Barbara Streisand concerts don't start until Barbara Streisand gets <laughs> I heard, it was, I've heard Van Morrison's concerts. When Van Morrison goes on stage, he's got a 90-minute timer behind him. And as soon as that timer hits zero, he walks straight off, off stage, even if he's mid-song. And if he goes for a toilet break, they have to pause the, uh, the clock behind I him. Like it. If you pay for 90 minutes of Van Morrison, you get 90 minutes of Van rock Morrison. And roll. Very just, rock and roll. Just waiting for later on today to see if Stu changes his Twitter handle to the Barbara Streisand of the MEN Sports Desk. Yeah, I think I am, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can think of some other people who might might want to claim that, but uh, who knows? Uh, Tyron, you talked about plays... Uh, Turning up on time, it could be argued the Fulham players never really got going on Saturday. You had what the, a segue, it's like we planned this. Yeah, you had the joys of the, the Mother's Day Eve fixture at Craven Cottage. <laughs> and no one adopted. <laughs> How did you find your trip to, uh, to is it West London? It is West London. To West London, yes. on the edge of the town. Yeah. Yeah. The trip was, was nice. What time of- are you up? I was up at 5am. Oh God. So it's a very, very early start. Um, but yeah, the trip was nice and it's always, a, it's a nice place, a nice ground to go to that walk along the Thames, especially with the sunshine and, you know, the crews out from Putney having a bit of a row at half eight in the morning as, as we walked along there, you know, it's always a, a nice place to go to. Very, you could tell very you're down south then. Walk. Hmm? You could tell you're down south then. You could, you could. Yes. It was, uh, <laughs> with the sun was a giveaway. Did you check out the International Brigade Memorial in the in the little gardens just, just down the river? No, we didn't because we didn't come that way because we couldn't get to Putney on the tube. Ah, right. So we had to go off at Hammersmith and walk from there. So so we didn't. So you have to forgive us on, on that one. But yeah, I mean, it was the game was as serene as that stroll to the stadium, to be honest. It was just cruise control once City got 2-0 up and a, a very, very simple afternoon's work for him. Yeah, the note here just says training exercise and could have been 5-0 by 20 minutes and I guess that is not only credit to, to City but uh, even even though Fulham are pretty shambolic they've still got to be at their game to make sure there's no complacency because we saw before the international break that Fulham almost snatched a, a point off Liverpool uh, at home so it's credit to City that they did make it look so easy even though Fulham were so abysmal Stu yeah I wasn't at the game I can see a theme developing here <laughs> starting the podcast without me doing the games without me <laughs> starting to get a little concerned to be honest but no I had a, I had a rare weekend off but I, I watched it from home uh, it was a wasn't the greatest game ever, but City did what what they did a lot of times in the second half of last season, which is get the game won and then take the rest. They take rest during games. You know, people talking about how many fixtures they've got and when they're going to get time for rest and recuperation. They actually ease off 
And you could see the second half, they just didn't exert themselves at all. They didn't need to, you know, they just kept the ball, they knocked it around. Fulham didn't really present any opportunity. Uh, sorry, any any threat. Um, so, they, you know, they, they just sort of took the heat out, took the sting out of the game, got it won, and then and then just eased off and got a little bit of rest thinking ahead to the, the Cardiff game on, on Wednesday night. So it was, it was you know... People are saying, oh, why, you know, City should be putting five past them and stuff like this, which they probably would have done if they'd needed to. But why do it? You know, why go hell for leather trying to score five or six goals when you can win the game and then uh, and then just sort of husband your resources for, for the games coming? Yeah, and as you said there, tight is such a congested fixture schedule going mm. ahead. So I think that for Pep, the, the priority will have just been to win and hopefully to, as you said, reserve those energy levels. And I think the fans understand that as well, particularly yeah. after they saw it last season, that 2 0 at Fulham, yeah, if, as you said, if they need to score six or seven, you <clears> feel <throat> they definitely would have done. But but it, it was a good game management from City and a valuable sort of performance in which they didn't suffer any more injuries as well yeah it was you know you could tell by the speed at which they started the game that they wanted to get it won and done and dusted the first 25 minutes you know they were completely dominant they were good without being brilliant the you know the final ball was was often missing there wasn't that they weren't as sharp as they always are but it was a 12-30 kickoff straight after the international break but they dominated the game for 25 minutes 30 minutes and you could tell they were just looking for that second goal as soon as they got that second goal it was game over and like Stu says they just completely shut it down second half second half was just a total non-event yeah Yeah. it was was a very easy one to work because with 60 minutes gone your match report's pretty much written you know you don't need anything else to happen in the last half hour you could tell I mean you could tell Fulham weren't going to score City might score a third might not you know it was almost as if they wanted to score a third or not it was so comfortable for them so it, it was very very comfortable and like Stu says that's what they've got to do they've got to manage games and and ease up and second half they just it was just control in the second half they had the odd chance but it was just about control just keep the ball let the ball do the work defensively solid and it was in terms of games and title races it was as routine as it can possibly be and it was it was kind of the way Pep would have dreamt it and being 2 up after half an hour total control and just go right job done that's one take your foot off the gas with the huge bonus of course that Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho both got mm-hmm. valuable minutes under the belts as well were you surprised to see them both have as much of a role as, as they did on the weekend no I was surprised that De Bruyne started um but then again, Pep always starts him when he's coming back from injury. He always throws him in. I mean, players are, players are different. Some players, you give them the last twenty minutes off the bench. Some players, you give them the first hour, uh, and then set them off. And that's what he did with De Bruyne. It always, he seems to be a risk these days because he's, you know, he's, he's had injuries when he's been coming back from injuries. So you're always fearful for him. Um, but he's a player who just wants to play. And if you'd have let him, he'd have played the ninety minutes. Um, he doesn't really see the the hazard in it he just wants to get on and play and keep playing um, so you know I think they did the right thing he, he wasn't he wasn't brilliant you know he wasn't the Kevin De Bruyne of last season uh, we haven't really seen much of that this season because he's been so interrupted by injury but you still get the feeling that he could play a big part in the in the last you know the last 10 to a dozen games of the season uh, in all competitions Um so it was important that he got back out there and Fernandinho as well you know there was one moment where the, I think a simple pass and it squirted under his foot so you kind of think you know he's he's also a little bit rusty he needs games so those those minutes that he got on the on the clock 
I'll, uh, I'll do him good going forward. And it's looking good for City now. They're getting all these players back. They've got almost a full squad. Um, and they, they're going to need that if they're if they're going to if they're going to push on on all three fronts. Uh, they're going to need all those players. Yeah, and Ty, I guess that's what makes it even more maybe remarkable that City are still. And we have to give the weekly quadruple a, a plug, yeah. don't we? But it is so remarkable that given the fact that two of the most pivotal players in Mendy and De Bruyne haven't been available for basically the whole season, the fact that City are, are in contention to win even more than they did last year, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, well, I mean, they coped without Mendy for most of last season as well. But, you know, they've got to this position. And like I say, within maybe touching distance, maybe stretching distance of the quadruple, let's say. And you know, we can talk about it now as Pep and the players are all talking about it. So finally, we can talk about it without uh, without worry of upsetting anyone as well. But they've got to this position without a kind of defining De Bruyne moment this season. Last season, it was happening pretty much every week or every other week. But this year, it, you know, like she says, he's not been at his best. And obviously that's due to injuries and, and things like that. But you still feel that at some point this season there is going to be a game or two that De Bruyne just stamps his class and authority all over and it was never really going to be Fulham away it was a very and you wouldn't want it to be from you wouldn't want it to be because it would feel like a waste and also it was it was a hard game to impress in because they did ease up so much after half an hour they were just going through the motions really so like Stu says it was important to get him you know to get some rhythm back he's a rhythm player but there's got to be some point in this season where you just have that defining De Bruyne moment and just think, you know, he goes and wins you a game and hopefully it'll be Champions League final or Champions League semi-final or FA Cup final or something like that or even the derby. But you just think there's got to be a moment or two in this season where De Bruyne really comes to the party. He's not he's not played that much. He's not contributed that much in terms of goals or assists, but you still feel that there's going to be a moment this season where he turns out to be pivotal for City. Two players who have been pivotal for City this season were on the score sheet as well on Saturday, Stu, and for all Fulham's poor defending, it was still two brilliant finishes as well from Bernardo and from Aguero to, to seal a deal. How impressed have you been with, with those two particularly? I know Bernardo's had credit throughout the whole season, maybe a player of the, the year contender, but Aguero, again, considering that when Guardiola took over, there were doubts about his, his entire future at City, the fact that he's just taken his game to a whole new level, almost reinvented himself. Yeah, I mean, City's player of the year changes week to week, to week doesn't it? Last week it was Sterling, the week before that it was Aguero. Uh, now it's Bernardo again and it was somebody else's turn I mean Sterling wasn't that, that impressive really at Fulham but uh, I think that's going to be the problem in terms of the PFA player of the year Liverpool have got one contender really in Van Dijk you could argue Mane has, has joined that similar party. to last year isn't it but, when Salah was so far ahead but City had the better collective yeah yeah, that, that City's vote is going to be split people who are going to vote for a City player you're probably going to get a third for Sterling a third for Aguero um, and a third for Bernardo and you can't really argue with that but it's, it's just going to be a shame because of course Van Dijk will probably win it and then City fans will all be up in arms how can they, how can they pick a little but it's, it's, it's to City's benefit because it means that they've actually got if you've got three contenders for player of the year and Liverpool have got one or one and a half um you know, it sort of points to the fact that City are stronger in terms of winning the trophies. And if it comes to winning individual honours or winning team honours, I don't think there's anybody who would choose the individual honours. Uh, yeah, Bernardo's exceptional. I mean, he's just been... He's almost a perfect player uh, in terms of... He's, he's not only got extreme ability, his touch is amongst the best I've ever seen. Um, he injects pace into games. He's clever. He's smart. His passing's 
crisp and precise. You, you, I don't remember him ever losing the ball. He, he hardly ever seems to lose the ball. He'll keep the ball, uh, he, you know, he, either with a clever bit of footwork or by laying it off to somebody else. He rarely gives the ball away. But on top of all that, he runs harder than everybody else. He just works so hard. And if you throw in the fact that, I mean, I, I know... I know this happens a lot. I mean, City's a very good squad in terms of the relations between the players, which hasn't always been the case in the last 10 years. Um, you know, they, they, do, they do get on pretty much as a group, but they all absolutely adore Bernardo. That comes across loud and clear. They absolutely love him to bits. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, Ty's probably... Uh, chatted with him as I have many times in the in, in the mix zone he's just such a nice fella we take advantage of that the journalists <laughs> because you know we, we stand around in the mix zone waiting for the players to come through and quite a lot of them just walk through without even recognising you or, or just saying no thanks kind of thing uh, but Bernardo you know for a fact that he'll yeah. stop he's just too nice he'll Bernardo just five minutes and you can see him sort of you know, he's just run himself <laughs> into the ground for 90 minutes and he wants to get on the coach and get his head down but he'll he's just too nice to say no and he'll, he'll stop and chat and he, he's such a lovely fella uh, so he, he deserves all, all the all the recognition and all the success that he's getting uh, and then Aguero I mean there's such a it's such a class finish wasn't it you know he's Aguero all over he, he just sort of that, that explosive power to get away from the defenders who were, there was three defenders around him and he just burst through a gap and then with three defenders on his back you know he has a presence of mind to just chip it into the far corner it's just absolute class um, that goal by the way I, I love stuff like this I'll probably bore the pants off you but I, I love stuff like that but that goal made it 144 for the season which means that City have now got in terms of the all time goal scoring record in England City are now one and two. Pellegrini's team hold the record. They scored 156 five years ago. Uh, that team, this team now, a second in that list. They've got 144 uh, with the Busby Babes, who held the record for 57 years. Yeah, United's Busby Babes team, they had 143. So that goal from Aguero made 144. They've overtaken the Busby Babes. City are one and two now in the all-time English goal-scoring Record charts. And that's how about that? That's a, and it's one of those records which isn't when the Premier League began in 1992 as well. It's the fact that it's top flight in the history of top flight. There's yeah. no, you can't really argue with it either, can you? Well, you can't. I mean, I've had United fans say, "Yeah, but they play a load more games these days." Well, actually, they don't. Yeah. They don't because um, the Busby Babes scored 143 goals in 57 games because, of course, then it was the league was four games longer mm. uh, and they were in the European Cup. They got to the FA Cup final um, and they played in the, the, well, the Charity Shield, as it was then. Uh, so they did it in 57 games. Pellegrini's team scored 156 goals in exactly the same. They played 57 games they played. Guardiola's team has beaten the Busby Babes in 50 games so they've done it in seven games faster and they've still got another at least 10 games left this season. It could be like 13 or 14 games. 14 yeah, 14 20, maximum, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you'd expect them. I mean, goal scoring tends to slow down at this time of year because things get tighter and tense and you don't tend to win win by, by as big margins. But you would expect them to score the 13 goals that they need now. To, to beat Pellegrini's team's record uh, and you know just another little feather in the cap of, of them has been you know people talk about them as being the greatest Premier League team ever or the greatest greatest English team ever 
Um, they've obviously they've got to win the trophies to prove that, but it's just another another addition to that argument, really. You know, the fact that they they did blowing goal scoring records out of the water as well. Yeah, and another way that this team's even developed from last year as well, when it seemed that and they might not break all the records that those centurions of what we're calling them uh, match, but the fact that they're outscoring them already that's a, a, a huge. Huge credit to Pep Guardiola as well to show his determination that the City side have. Yep. This brings us nicely onto our half-time teaser today as well that Ash has so carefully found for us all. This is, it's a bit tricky. I'm going to be Great. interested to see how I do it. So the question is, how many City players, past and present, have scored over 100 Premier League goals in their career? So it's players who have played for City and scored 100 league goals or more for any club for any club including their time at City we will be back after the break while you have a think about this join us again shortly Hello and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Uh, just before the break, we left Stu and Ty with a teaser of how many City players have scored 100 or more Premier League goals in their entire career. Anyone want to guess how many players first? Oh, I'll go with five. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should say that, Stu. Because is that right? It is five. That's remarkable. I've no <laughs> idea where Stu plots that number that's from. That's why I'm known as the Manchester City expert, is. the Manchester Evening News. <laughs> and that's why you're going to tell us the five now, isn't it, Stu, as well? Um, <laughs> I'll have a stab at them. Uh, first first one's first. Well, I, I think if we go, if we sort of alternate, so I'll go first. Yeah. I'll go with Sergio Aguero. Nice. All right, it's over to Tyro. Robbie Fowler. Robbie Fowler, one all. I'll go Carlos Tevez. Uh-uh. No? First one. Yeah. Nicholas and Elke. Two on tie. Oh, there are two yeah. left now. Um, uh, Darius Vassell. Uh-uh. Oh. Tie? Um, I did think so. There'll be a clue after Ty's next guess, anyway, for the for the two of you. Uh, oh, who was I thinking of? I've forgotten. Great podcast, this, isn't it? It's good content. Mm. Good content. Hope Ash put some dramatic music um, in the background when he edits it, because that would really add to it. Uh, Here we go. We've not uh, gone off air. Don't worry. Don't check you. You don't have to put I'm your struggling. volume in. I did think of someone, but I'm struggling. Nice to think who it might have been. No. Nope. My mind's gone blank. I'll okay, pass back so to you. Still 2-1 to you. Okay, the clues that we'll go for. I mean, one of them played... I think in the last five years for City, he was a midfielder. He only played a season. Frank Lampard. Oh, of course, yeah. It was yeah. Stu's question, this. That's Stu's yeah, question. No, my question, so I'll go <coughs> Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard. <laughs> so now it's two all, and we've got the. Uh, I just thought there have been too many empty pauses already, yeah. and I was trying to speed things up. But look, we've got all the time in the world. <laughs> as long as this gets. I think this is an engaging content almost. I mean, we're really teasing it out. So, so far, we've got Anelka, Aguero, Fowler, Lampard. There's one more. He's more famous for his exploits for another Premier League team. Well, three other Premier League teams off the top of my head. Three other Premier League teams? Wow. Never mind the quadruple. He's already won a treble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's handing it to you on a plate. Our listeners will be shouting out loud. Yeah. You know it, don't you, Stu? Oh, I think so. I'm Ta- struggling. Okay, well, we'll just go Stu Brennan. Robbie Fowler. Well, I said Robbie Fowler. Fowler. You said Robbie Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> this in that is, case, this is podcast. People are tearing off in their. Tr- 
No. People are turning oh, off in their droves oh, here. Shall we just uh, let's end the misery. I'm guessing he won Liverpool's treble. No. Treble. He won United's no. treble. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I never thought of United's treble. Go on. Uh, here we go. Three, two, one. This is the, this teaser's really dragging. <laughs> <laughs> if, you could, a complete blank if you could see the puzzled looks Andy Cole oh gosh uh, yeah. yeah I was thinking Blackburn Newcastle United I was thinking of midfielders I'm going to go back in there and check Darius Vassell and the other ones that I said well Darius I must Vassell, say Carlos, no, I don't trust Carlos Tevez and Vassell you said both interesting yeah. Ash the producer yes. made the question do he's not slap if he's that do not right. shoot the messenger we do not we do not condone physical abuse either we'll say that but <laughs> metaphorical slap <laughs> yeah that's what we'll say anyway can we, can we cut that and edit it together so it looks like we got all five really quickly <laughs> no I want, I want us to make the pauses even longer <laughs> because that was tedious um, well we're on the subject there so you talked about you thought it was a Liverpool player who maybe won the treble Liverpool will be hoping to win the Premier League this season they just somehow managed to squeak past Spurs on Sunday in the Super Sunday fixture. 2-1 a late Toby Alderweireld mm. own goal. Lucky win for Liverpool, Tyro. And do you think, what do you think the City reaction is, is going to be to, to what they saw there? Because that's a team who have won against the odds. It's maybe the archetypal sign of champions, but yeah. there's definitely weaknesses in this Liverpool title bid. Yeah, I mean, there are, yeah. I think... The problem is in this day and age with social media and so many other dubious websites looking for content and things like that, that the narrative over the title race changes every day. City's win on Saturday because it was so comfortable and controlled was the sign of champions. Then Liverpool get a fortuitous win and it's like, oh, that's the sign of champions now. So the sign of a champion has changed in a day. So it, it was fortuitous. The circumstances about the winner were fortuitous. They were outclassed, outplayed second half. So there was undoubted fortune in it but you know I don't think we can, I don't think we can read anything into it and say well they've had a lucky goal there so they're, they're going to end up champions so, you know it doesn't it doesn't work like that I think it's I've written a piece this morning about this and I think it's I think it's fascinating actually seeing that the closer it's got to the finishing line the more the two teams are resembling the image of their managers I think so City over the last month six weeks have been in complete control in the Premier League they've looked calm they've dominated most games even the games they've won 1-0 against West Ham and Bournemouth they've never looked under pressure I mean Bournemouth didn't have a shot they've been so so calm and so controlled and yet at Liverpool it's just chaos emotional energy and it's the complete opposite they're, they're getting ahead in games not taking their chances to go 2-0 up getting pegged back getting last minute winners or a late winner at Fulham and you know, it's a complete contrast and they are, they're almost playing at the moment in Klopp's image and I thought the, the picture of him in the cutaway yesterday when Tottenham equalised and it went to him and you could tell he was trying desperately to try and keep his emotions in check but his, pa- his, his, pace, <laughs> his face painted a brilliant picture in that he just looked like he just could only just about keep it in. He looked like he wanted to kick something and I think it's, you know, it's a fascinating contrast in the way the two teams are going about it and I mean you watch City play and it just looks so much easier for City at the moment than it does for Liverpool doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win it they should do and they're favourites for an obvious reason but I think it's a, an interesting contrast I also think when <clears throat> you got it again yesterday when it when, you know, when Tottenham equalised there's this perception or this narrative that Liverpool are bottling it or beginning to bottle it which I think is I think it's unfair on both teams actually because if Liverpool don't win the league and City do are people going to say oh Liverpool have bottled it both of these teams are going to get in the high 90 points 
So to suggest that one or the other has bottled it rather than the other team winning it is absolute nonsense. Mm. We're also, it's a little bit harsh on Liverpool as well, I think, controversial opinion. But you're talking about a team Spoken that... like a true red. <laughs> you're talking about a team who's lost one of 32 league games yeah. and saying they're bottling it, which, all right, they've certainly looked edgy, I think, of late. And they looked edgy again yesterday. But I think that's just, that's just the way they do it. You know, we saw that, we've seen that with their previous title challenges. Getting over the line for them is a mental hurdle. They do look edgy, but I'm not sure they're bottling it. And I think it's unfair on City to suggest that they are bottling it when really, you know, if City go on and win it, win all their last seven games, to suggest that they've won it because Liverpool bottled it would be absolute nonsense. Yeah, whoever wins it will deserve it. They both have Absolutely. fantastic seasons. Yeah. You know, the fact that they just outstripped everybody else in the league proves that. I just think it's going to come down to fine margins in the last few games. And I'm gonna. I've got a piece in my head that I'm, I'm going to be writing um, that suggests you. You look at where the goals are coming from. Liverpool are still relying overwhelmingly on on that front three. You know, uh, Mane and Salah um, are both are both sort of up there in the goal scoring charts. Firmino gets the goal, uh, the first goal yesterday. Uh, but you look at the midfields. Because you really need, to me, you need to be... Last season, Salah carried Liverpool completely. Uh, but City won the league because they had goals in them from all over the place. And I just think these last few games are going to be tight and they're going to be tense. Uh, and you're looking for looking for heroes to come from elsewhere on the, on the team. <coughs> that Liverpool midfield, if you look at Milner, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Keita, Fabinho, they've scored five goals between them this season. They've averaged one each. Well, as you look at City, you know, Silver's weighed in with double figures. Um, if, when Bernardo's played in midfield, he's scored. He's scored. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne hasn't because he's not been playing, but we know it, he can. I mean, he did it last season. He does score goals from midfield regularly. Uh, and even Fernandinho pops up with the odd goal. Um, you know, he's, he's not as prolific, but he plays a little bit deeper. So City have got, got goals in the front three. Um, Sterling, Aguero, Sane and Bernardo when he plays there uh, they all score goals uh, but they've got that backup as well in terms of the midfield three score uh, I just wonder whether that might be a factor going in because you're going to get teams sitting in against Liverpool with an edgy crowd at the back mm. um, you know and your front three find it harder they're going to find it harder to find the gaps, find the space to score, and that, then you're looking for somebody else coming from deep, maybe to to to, to exploit space. Uh, I wonder whether Liverpool have got that. Uh, City definitely have. We know that. So I just wonder whether City's greater depth of goal scoring might just tilt the balance in their favour. But it's going to be it's going to be a fantastic running. Talk about key fixtures towards the end of the season. Are there any Premier League matches, Tyrone, where you think they could be in particular difficult for City in, in this running? Well, I think the obvious ones are Tottenham at home and United away, both in the space of four days. So I think those are the two you'd look at and think, not sure about. Tottenham at home, you'd fancy City to beat Tottenham at the Etihad. It's going to be complicated slightly by the fact that it's coming straight after the Champions League game. So that's going to have had an influence on it and who's come out on top there. It's kind of, you know, almost a mini series of games, isn't it? So that third one will be, won't be decided, but the previous two will have had an influence on it. And then, of course, the derby at Old Trafford is going to be, right, it's the toughest game City have got left. And it's going to be their game in hand. 
So I think the advantage, well, obviously it would have been an advantage to City yesterday if Liverpool had have failed to, to get the three points. But I think what, what in an ideal world, City would go into that game with Liverpool having dropped points in a game so that it was almost a free hit to extend their lead. If City go into that game two points behind knowing they've got to win it to go back on top and keep it in their own hands, it's a very difficult, tricky fixture with it being a derby at Old Trafford. If they go in a point ahead knowing it's almost a free hit to extend that lead, then I think it makes a different difference psychologically. So I think they'll hope. I mean, Liverpool have still got to play Chelsea before then, I think. So there's still a chance that they'll drop points before then and obviously City have got Tottenham so you know we don't know what's going to happen there but that is that is the fixture that that is going to prove most problematic for City you would think and because it's their game and the circumstances around it will sort of have a, have a you know a, a factor in it as well yeah so I guess that takes into our, our last point so you don't think there's any chance of City dropping points against Cardiff on Wednesday night at home I think there always is I mean we, you always look at you, 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 Ty's quite right to highlight those two games as the most difficult ones but funny things happen when you get to this stage of the mm. season it's the games that you least expect people to drop points I remember I mean, last time City and Liverpool were going for it and Liverpool were 3-0 up at Crystal Palace and they ended up dropping two points there you know nobody would have foreseen that it was just incredible but that's, that's what it does with the pressure um, the pressure and everything else that goes goes with, with it especially with Liverpool because they do feel it more than City City do um, it does funny things to you at this, at this time of the season and it while you would expect you know you, you look, Liverpool will certainly be looking at the Tottenham and United games for City to drop points but you can drop points at any time mm. You know, City have done that this season. They lost at home to Palace. They lost at Leicester. Nobody expected it. Mm. Um, so, you know, it can happen in any game. You can't afford to start saying, ah, oh, that's the game where we might drop points because it can happen at any old time. This, any time of the season, really, but especially at this time of the season when the pressure's really on and the, the games are really tense and really tight uh, and the crowds start getting edgy, it gets difficult. That, those games that Stu mentioned and also the Newcastle game, the most recent league loss, are probably good warnings for City because their league defeats this year have all come completely out of the blue, Yeah, really. In all of them, they've gone into them. I mean, obviously, the two over Christmas were together. But other than that, they've tended to go into games. I mean, the Newcastle game, since since that defeat to Leicester... Yeah, Palace then Leicester, wasn't it? Since that defeat to Leicester, they've been brilliant. Yet, lost to Newcastle in the middle of it, completely out of the blue, completely from nowhere. So that can act as a warning that those things can happen. The same at home to Palace. I mean, they'd lost to Chelsea earlier that month, but they were back in their stride. And you, you just wouldn't have thought there was a cat in hell's chance of Palace winning that. So a couple of times this season, City have lost games when they've been playing well, just completely out of the blue. So they will know it It can happen. You wouldn't expect it to happen against Cardiff at home, especially if Neil Warnock goes through with his threat of and then they play playing the, the reserves, years. although I suspect that might have been a slightly childish reaction to a, a bit of bad fortune yesterday. But you a bit of bad fortune. A bit of bad fortune. It was a disgrace, but yeah, that's what I love about football. Slightly, Injustice. Slightly love childish it. was also an understatement in, the, in that sentence as well. Um, yeah, you wouldn't expect it to be that game, but those defeats for City have acted as a warning that you know a couple of times this year they've been 
hit with bolts from the blue from nowhere. I think we'll snip that Rich Fay quote out, won't we? And use it. Injustice, I love it. Yeah, I do love it. That's what I love. That's why I don't want VAR. Because you've got to have something to talk about in the pub after the game. You've got to feel your team was robbed. To say your team lost because they were the worst team, that's not fun. You can blame it on the officials instead. Rich, so much you're better. a Wrexham fan. Surely you're used to that reality now. Yeah, we do. Well, and like a Liverpool fan once told me, next year is our year. That's for sure. We shall see. So injustice, I love it, only applies to football, not generally in life. Not generally in life. Mm. <laughs> I hope you never get called out for jury service. <laughs> I like to throw a cat amongst the kitchens, don't I? Devil's advocate. That's what you've got to do sometimes. But no, in terms of football, uh, goal line technology, yes, that's a fact. VAR, not for me. We shall see. I disagree with that, but if we get into this, then this podcast will never end. No. Be more, be more pauses than that. Maybe one day we'll come. Maybe in the summer when we really have a lull, we'll just have people from every podcast coming to VAR discuss special. rules and things like that. Yeah, Who knows? VR is, uh, I don't really care, so we don't <laughs> need to go there. Okay, there we go. Well, let's hope you you do care if you're listening still. If you've made it this far past that, past the teaser, <laughs> yeah, anyway, a pass on the back was, if you have. That was a long way away. But uh, thank you very much, Stu and Ty, for joining us. We will be back again later in the week to reflect on the game against Cardiff and a look ahead to the FA Cup semi-final thank you very much please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already and join us next time on the Talking City podcast <laughs>